Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share your word with your people. For the family that's gathered here, God, we ask that you would give them minds that are thinking and doing the things that you've designed our brains to do and hearts that are open uh, to receive from you the sustenance that is indeed our lives. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen is like the universal, uh, you may be seated thing. It doesn't mean that. It means so be it or let it be done. But I guess if you're done standing, sitting down is a good thing. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited about the series that we're doing, uh, Just Believe, question mark. And really kind of working through it as, as a congregation and as God's people, the idea of why. Why do we believe? What do we believe? How do we believe? When are we supposed to believe when we are dealing with the realities of the life in which we live and lead. Sometimes it's wonderful and things are going great. Sometimes it's terrible. Things are going awful. Sometimes it's in between. Sometimes it goes from one place to the other place in the same day. And we're oftentimes in religious circles told, you know, just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. And I've found in my experience in dealing with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, both religious and non-religious, there's this constant question of why, what, how am I supposed to do this? When am I supposed to do this? Is this something I'm always supposed to do? Just, there's just a lot, a lot of questions. I love it that the God that we've come to worship today is the God who is not afraid of questions. In fact, he designed us to ask them. In fact, I believe that that's one of the most incredible testimonies to the existence of God is our innate desire to ask questions. Just think about it. If there was nothing other than what we experience in this world, then there should be no questions because everything just happens, right? And then the thing that everybody's saying to each other right now, it is what it is. It's so popular. It's just taking this nation by wildfire. You're hearing it everywhere would be the actuality of our existence, we wouldn't think about, you know, why did that person just run that red light? We wouldn't think about, why am I sick? Why did my family become ill? We wouldn't think about, why is that person wealthy and I am not? We, none of those things would matter. It just is what it is. And there's nothing that can be done about it. Some people get great, some people don't, but there's really no great, some, there's really no don'ts. It just is what it is. But we know that's not true. Even though we say it to each other, we know that that is not true. We can't help but to wonder. We can't help but to hope. We can't help but to ask the questions. And I believe, brothers and sisters in Christ, that if we re-embrace that, that we allow ourselves to become so much powerful and more effective in sharing the good news of what we've just sang about with those who are not yet part of God's family. But it's difficult to ask questions because, let's be honest, there's a lot of questions that we ask we don't have the answers for, right? And there's a lot of questions that we get asked that we don't have any answers for. I've shared with you that I'm an absolute news geek. I mean, I read all sorts of stuff. Um, I spend time every day just reading, 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 reading. And one of the things I've noticed over the past two weeks is there's been this flurry of news amongst the scientific journals. 
Now, I already said I'm a geek, so yes, I do read news from the scientific journals. And they have found from subatomic investigation to looking at things way out in the omniverse, so both here and millions of light years away, that there are things that are happening that absolutely throw all the theories of how things happen on its head. So the things that we learned in grammar school and in middle school and high school and those of you who are at college, those things are being challenged consistently as to their truth. And the more we discover, the more that the things that we said, this is how things work, is not how things work. In fact, when the headline says, such and such a discovery throws everything on its head, that ought to cause a great disturbance in the force, so to speak. You following me? And here's a really cool thing. I love to read those things because I'm fascinated, and I'm going to just be honest with you. The stories I've read over the last over what's going on in the omniverse and what's going on in the subatomic level, I didn't understand half of it. I mean, they use these words that I'm like looking up, and they don't, they're not even the dictionary online. I mean, it's just it's crazy stuff. So I, I don't understand half of it. But what I do understand is that the story that's been handed down through the ages of humankind, that God spoke this world into existence, and it was, and then he created one thing after another by speaking into existence, and it was, and then he walked amongst human people, and he told them how things came to be, and those human people told their children who told their children who told their children who told their children for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And guess what? That story remains. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We just sang Noel, 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 Noel. Born is the king of Israel. And Noel's a weird word because it means Christmas. That's what it, that's, it was a word that was designed to remind people of Christmas. So that's what it means. So if we were to translate Noel, 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 it'd be Christmas, 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 which doesn't sound as good on the song, does it? So we'll leave it as Noel. But it's thought that the word actually comes from the term, the French term for birth. And so then it becomes birth, 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 born as the king of Israel. And, you know, I get to think, and I think about these things all the time. And if you're not already convinced about who in the world invited this guy to come and help us for a period of time and love us um, about whether they were mentally stable or not, you begin wondering now. So it's, it's a good wonder. But why would there be this repetition over and over and over again? I mean, for us, because we don't know what it means, it sounds good. Noel, Noel, it sounds you know, Christmassy because that's what we've always known it to be Christmassy. Why would that, why would you repeat something? Um, and the answer to the question is pretty easy, isn't it? We always repeat things that amaze us, don't we? Have, have you ever just experienced something you're like, wow! And then you have something really amazing to say. You say, wow! And then you just, you can't say anything else. You're like, wow! And you said, wow, three times in a row. And people that are around you will either be amazed with you or they think that you don't have a vocabulary, Right? So here's the great joy of this whole thing, this, this birth, this advent, this thing that God did is like, wow, wow, wow. 
this thing that we sang about, the, about the angels singing and announcing that God had become flesh is just amazing stuff. I think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to recapture the wonder of that. We've gotten so sucked into all the stuff that has nothing to do with God becoming flesh. I love the, the, I think it's the third or the fourth verse of the song. Thank you so much, Kathy, for letting us get all the way to what Jesus did. He bought us with his blood on the cross. It's not very Christmassy to talk about the purpose of the advent, but boy, it makes it all worthwhile. If Jesus just came and was a little baby and said, hey, peace out, we wouldn't be telling the story anymore. But this child grew up, endured all things common to humankind, and then was brutally murdered so that you and so that I could stand before the God of the omniverse beyond our capacity to be, even imagine and be judged by him as right, not because of our good works, but because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin is washed away. Our choice to become our own gods is no longer our con condemning writ of eternal separation from God, but we are received as daughters and sons of the Most High King. That's like, wow, wow, wow. And we're here gathered, small, but here gathered, to proclaim this which has been proclaimed for thousands of years, folks. Just think about it. When this story came to be, the Roman Empire was nearing its zenith. They were building roads and aqueducts and spreading the Pax Romanus around the world, this kind of government that, that institutes peace by the blade. And there were many advances in science and understanding, but it was still a world that none of us could survive probably a couple days in. And that world continued to change and morph and went through diseases and disasters, both natural and human-made, and continued to work and, and move and change, and languages changed, and centers of powers have changed, and the world became a much bigger and bigger, bigger place and then became incredibly small. And guess what? We're still telling the same story. We've not been doing subatomic investigations for more than just a couple hundred years. And really, in essence, only for the last hundred years. And that's being kind of generous about it. And yet we're continuously throwing on its head all that we know. We've got to go back to the drawing board, and we've told you this, and now this is not exactly true. And for most of us, it's like me, it's over my head, and so my molecules are still sticking together, so whatever you all are doing, figuring it all out, ain't affecting me, so I'm good with it. The story's changing. And yet, if you watch the news, you'll hear this sentence continuously. Science is now telling us what to do. This thing, whatever it is, it's not a thing, but this thing is informing us as to what's true and right and constantly throwing itself on its head. Doesn't make any sense to me. And these are the kinds of things that I like to have conversations with people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. 
Not as a matter of being argumentative, but just as a matter of using how God's created us to have this conversation. Because even the most virulent atheist who hates even the very mention of anything that would even be remotely religious, it doesn't matter what kind of religion, Allah, Buddha, it doesn't matter what ah you want, I don't want to talk about it, has to address these simple truths. The stories remained, and we have the question. And if all there is is just what there is, then why does any of it matter? Because it really doesn't. I'd like to, for you to find your Bibles and turn to John the ninth chapter. I want you to know that these questions that we're having are not new. We, we kind of think that we're the best of the best of the best and we're smarter than everybody else, which is not really true, but that's how we think. That's how we conceive. We're so far advanced still figuring out how the Egyptians put the pyramids together and how the Aztecs put their places of worship together, you know, because they had no of the machinery that we have, none of the laser-guided stuff that we have, but, you know, they're still primitives and we're the advanced ones. And so we think that we, we, we've conquered with our questions, you know, that God is no longer relevant because we've outgrown him. We're too knowledgeable for an overwhelming, overarching, all-knowledgeable deity. We've become that deity ourselves. And that nobody else ever had this question because they were primitives. You know, they just believed because they didn't have the mental capacity to do anything else. But in the scripture, this passed down from generation, 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 we've seen that these questions do exist. And so we, we, we looked at the what last week, that God has become flesh, and he's walked among us, that he's still actively involved in what's going on in history, and that his normal is intersecting our normal, and we call his normal intersecting our normal somehow a miracle, which it's not. It's just us being restored to that which God originally intended, and that our normal is broken, and it's backwards, and it is going to end up in death. His normal is full of joy and hope and will remain forever and ever and ever. And so now we're going to look at the why. What, what, what is it that we're looking at and why are we looking at it? So John, the ninth chapter, the 13th verse, interesting story. Jesus has um, gone by and there's a fellow that has been blind. And Jesus interacts with him. And in that interaction, he makes some mud pies with the spit and dirt. Puts it on his eyes. Tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so the guy does. And when he's washed, his sight is restored. Now, this wasn't a temporary thing. You know, he had some sort of an infection and somehow the magical saliva made all the difference, which, by the way, at the time was a common belief that saliva had magical healing properties, which there's actually some truth to. Uh, no, he'd been blind since he was born, and it was well known. So we're going to enter into the story. He's been healed. 
Verse 13, then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. These are the educated people. These are the religious leaders, but these are the folks that are in authority and power in the culture at the time. They took him to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So now there's a confusion. Are you supposed to do this kind of miraculous work on the day that you're supposed to be resting and keeping it holy to God or what you're supposed to do? And so the Pharisees asked the man, the man who had been healed, all about it. And so he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Now some of the Pharisees said this man Jesus is not from God for he is working on the Sabbath others said but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs so there was a deep what division of what opinion there was this deep division of opinion amongst them so there there's some that are asking why would somebody that is from God do something that we believe violates the law of God working on the Sabbath and the other ones would say why is somebody who is from God not giving credit or honor for doing something miraculous that only God could do and so there's this division all around the question why why has this happened why has it happened on this day Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what is your opinion about this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So here's some things that we, we need to just pick up from this passage right away before we delve any farther. That the man was healed was a fact and evidence. You couldn't get around it. Okay, so he'd not been able to see since he was born and now he's able to see and he's able to stand and respond both audibly and visually to the people that are questioning him there are a lot of things in this world that are facts and evidence love is one of them and that's why i think satan is in every culture all the time trying to kill it redefine it undefine it do anything he can to get rid of love Because it's a fact. You can't get around it. It it is there. And while different people have different interpretations of what it is or how it is or when it is or any of those things, we all agree it's there. We even agree that it's there between animals who we're not sure whether or not they have the capacity to feel emotions or not. But they do things that we attribute to the thing called love. You following me? Okay, so it's there. This man's healed. He's there. You can't get around it. But the qualification of the one through whom the miracle happened was in dispute. Is he a godly man or is he somebody that's not godly? Did he break the law? Did he not break the law? And, and, and that's the same as it is today, isn't it? You know, is, is love something that is definable? Or is love something that means whatever it is to whoever it says that they love? So if I love telephone poles and my heart just gets incredibly overwhelmed whenever I see a telephone pole, who are you to tell me that I can't love telephone poles? In fact, I might marry a telephone pole. Y'all are laughing like that could never happen. Trust me, in this world, it not only can happen, it probably has happened. We've gone out of our minds. 
I'm being absurd, I, I know. But that's where we're at. We are living in an era of absurdity. So we don't have to get all righteous about it. We just need to call it what it is. It's absurd and work through it. Because that's what God did. Because you know what? He's been working with the absurd since Adam and Eve decided that they were God and he was not. Which was absurd. So the qualification of Jesus is under dispute. What love is is under dispute. So what do we do? Verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and can now see. So now it's a fact and evidence, but now we're going to just attack what we know. So they called in his parents. They asked the guy's parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? Remember what I said about the absurdity just a second ago? Is that an absurd question? How would they know? His parents replied, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. Now, in common parlance, in our culture right now, his parents just threw the boy under the bus. How do I know? What does it say? Verse 22. His parents said this because they were what? Afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So think about this, folks. This, this emotion of being called to account for something that God has done, being asked to explain it as that God did it, was not acceptable, and out of fear, they backed away. Is this not what is happening in our culture right now? In those who are followers of Christ, who see God working and want to give him honor, but because of fear, we don't say anything, we back away. And I'm not ta- speaking about the we rhetorical. I'm speaking about myself. Forgetting that I'm committing the very same sin of these parents who ought to be saying, whoever it was, we thank God that our boy that has never seen anything now can see. You want to have a hard emotional time? YouTube people that get glasses that allow them to see color for the first time. I'm serious. If you're one of those people who like to be emotionally stirred, it will blow you up. I've seen several of them. I don't look for them, but I see, I've seen several of them. The, the, the one that just amazed me is there was, the story was there. A daughter gave her dad glasses so he could see color for the first time for his birthday. You know, very expensive glasses, but there's something in the way that the glasses work that allow the brain to process color for colorblind people. And so brings him outside, gives him the, 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 the glasses, and he puts them on. And he takes them off, and he puts them on, and he starts weeping. I mean, sobbing. This guy's like older than me, and he is racking in sobs. And I, I was like, man, that's, that's a weird reaction. 
You know, I was like, oh, wow, yo, this is awesome. But I've noticed that over and over and over again in these videos that I've seen people that have gotten these glasses, that's a common response is weeping. I'm not sure all the psychology of it, but this is the exact same thing that the mom and dad should have been. It's just like for the first time, they're knowing that their son is seeing and they should be rocked in sobs of joy and amazement. And they're afraid that they're going to be thrown out. That is why they said, he's old enough, ask him. Verse 24, for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The man replies, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but I know this. I was blind and now I see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, he's, he's getting it. I mean, he, he's, he's in their grill now. I, I think you got that head wagon, you know, shoulder thing going now. He's had enough. So they've, They've gone from questioning the qualifications and they've just decided that Jesus wasn't qualified because he's a sinner to it must have been the way he did it. It must have been something about the mud. It must have been something about the saliva. And we've, we've got to break this down. We've got to scientifically analyze it. We need to figure it out so that we can absolutely excuse God from this equation, even though part of their responsibility, in fact, their leading responsibility was to lead people to God. But they'd much rather that not happen because the way to get there was not the way that they wanted to go. And so now the question is presented to us, why? Why did he get healed? There's lots of blind people, but why did he get healed? You know, why did it happen in this way? And, and people have been writing about it ever since over and over again from the earliest literature that we have in, about people who are followers of Jesus, literally thousands of years old, this passage is one that they would do opinions and they're constantly asking this question, why? And it was interesting as I was doing the research for this morning, something that I didn't know of before, even though this had been spoken of in the Old Testament times as God's ability to do that he could give sight to the blind, According to the research I've done, that did not happen. Not through a prophet, not through God coming in person. It just didn't happen. It was believed that God could do it. I'm assuming it must have happened, but there's no record of it until we get to Jesus. And then he does it. Now we could probably talk for the next 10 or 15 or 20 minutes just on that one fact alone. And the significance of God coming and allowing people who can't see to see and demonstrating people who can see aren't really seeing a thing, which is, we're going to get that. But I'm going to let you just mull over that as we really consider this question, why? Verse 28, then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, did what to him? They cursed him. And they said, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. 
to put it in common language now, you are a stupid religious person, but we're scientifically educated. Now, I want you to know, just, I love science. A lot of it's over my head. I've already shared that with you, but I'm fascinated with it. I'm not scared by it. I think the more we discover about what's going on in the world and how it happens and all of this thing, it all just absolutely amazes me and actually draws me closer to the God who created it because it just demonstrates just how complex the creation is that he just said, let it be, and it was, according to the scripture. So I love science. And you don't beat me with science, I'm happily beat. But this is the exact same attitude that we have now thousands of years ago. You're one of those religious nutcases. We're people who know it all. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from, which is not even true. They knew exactly where Jesus came from. They knew his family heritage, and that was part of the problem. But, but, but think about this the other, other way. They said that we know God spoke to Moses. Were any of them alive when God spoke to Moses? No, no, not in one of them. So how do they know? They don't. They don't. And brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you deep, okay? I'm challenging you. Because these very same lies Satan has used from generation to generation to generation. Somebody will say something that they quote unquote know. But how do they know it? And do they indeed know it? These people knew that God spoke to Moses because Moses shared with God's people. God talked to me. God brought signs to verify that God and Moses were definitely having a conversation. And then their children told their children who though told their children and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds it stretched into a millennia of years past and these guys got told all that we know has come that way right now in our current culture we're kind of flipping things around maybe it's always been that way i don't know i've only lived my lifetime but I'm having to go to my kids and say, okay, how does this work? So they're kind of telling me backwards. You had that thing? You know, I, I thought I was, I'd, I'd arrive when my mom and my dad are calling me constantly, you know, how to get my stereo work, you know, how to get my computer to work, and say, like, I'll help you. But it's been really humiliating when I'm having to call my kids and say, how do I get my stereo to work? How do I get my computer to work? You know, this is kind of where we're at, right? It's no different. What we know has been passed down to us. And so we adopt it, we accept it, we get even cocky about it, but we really don't know. We don't even know what we experience sometimes. You ever had one of those things where you're absolutely certain that something happened and you were wrong? I know I have. I mean, 100%. I saw it, I experienced it, this is the way it went down. It's like, no, that's all. No, no, no. Well, here's the video of it. Oh my goodness, that's not the way I remember it. Why, that's very strange, the man said. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't even know where he comes from? 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. And if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. I told you, he'd had enough. He's over, I can see now, and he's over, you all are blind as bats, and your hearing is very dull. I'm going to read what he said again. He calls them out. He knows that they know where he's from. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't even know where he comes from. And then he throws back what they all know about God. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Now, he's not declaring who Jesus is. He's just saying that Jesus and God must have some sort of a connection. And then he brings to attention the very same history that I just shared with you. He said, ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. No one. Again, in Isaiah and the Psalms, God has been given and is the God who can do that. But he said, this hasn't happened. And if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And what was their response? You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue, which was the center of the culture. So all those things that we enjoy because we're culturally connected now are broken for him relationships business opportunities support all of that stuff broken very very high priced and so here we see in this passage something that we continually struggle with to this very day no difference i want to talk to you about it first of all is knowledge versus evidence now did the man who was healed claimed to know everything no he didn't in fact he claimed to know very little didn't he but he had evidence he could see that he kept on presenting over and over and over again folks if christ has come into your life and revolutionized you from the inside out is changing you into not the person that you are but the person that he is creating you to be ephesians 2 says his masterpiece by laying out things before you that you would walk into him by changing things in you that even your family is like why are you doing that you've always been this way and now you're doing this you know what's what's the matter with you that's evidence Period. And if that's not happening in your life, my challenge to you is to go to God and ask him why. Because that's what he does. And there's only two answers to that question. One, Christ isn't the ruler of your life and you need to receive him. Okay? Which he's offering to do that. To come and to be the Lord of your life. To revolutionize you from the inside out. To forgive your sins. To enjoy you with his spirit of abundant life right now. Even if you've been in church all your life and been religious all your life. You know, there are people that never surrender to Christ. And they do all the right things other than the only thing that makes a difference. And that is 
total and complete surrender to his lordship. So that's one answer. The other answer is God's been moving and working, and while you may call him Lord, you're saying no, 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 no. And so you're working against the evidence that is already in your life. And believe me, people that are in your life see it. One of the uh, great privileges that I've had in interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ now for over four decades is I didn't know any better than to not be honest. And growing up on the West Coast, it's a much different culture. It, it tends to be, it's changing now, but it tends to be a very, very honest culture. You know, hey, how you doing? I don't know, I'm high. I've actually had that response back to me. Okay, not sure what I'm going to do with that, but thanks for sharing, you know. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. Just right up as you ask, just do like people do. You know, how you doing? It's like, oh, I'm feeling fine, you know. I've had six joints, you know, whatever. But it made a difference in who I am in Christ. Because it's allowed me to be honest with the things that are struggles in my life, with the acts of disobedience that I have in my life, and allowed others to be honest with me. Even before I was a pastor, you know, people would come and, and share things that had gone on in their life. Remember, I was just a regular old Sunday school teacher when they still called it Sunday school, which I'm glad we've moved on past that by and large, but Sunday school teacher. And one of the people was in my class young lady and said, you know, can I talk to you after class for a few minutes? I said, sure. And so we sat down and people are kind of milling around. And she said, I've got this problem in my life. And I said, okay, well, what's, what's going on? She says, well, I'm pregnant. I said, congratulations. Just, just like that. And she said, oh, well, there's some complexity. Um, the father is my husband's brother. I'm thinking this didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. And we're at church, you know, and this person is confessing to their Sunday school teacher, I'm not even the pastor, I'm thinking, where is the pastor, right? That she's been intimate with her husband's brother and now is carrying his child and not her husband's. You know, because that's life, right? People do stuff like that, right? But when we're honest with each other about what's going on, God had, it wasn't just the difficulty of getting away with it, which she was considering, just saying nothing. I mean, they're brothers, right? It's not like the kid's not going to look a little bit like their dad. How do I get myself out of this mess? How do I respond to this act of sin that's in my life? And so when we're convicted about things that God's doing in our life and we start owning the things that we have done that have been in rebellion to who he is and we start sharing that with people who will hold us accountable and encourage us to be obedient and to do the things that we're supposed to be doing that's evidence that god is working in us it's not a, some self-help group it's actually good christian relationships and then when we celebrate that people that struggle with telling the truth are now as truthful as they can be, that people who were angry now are full of peace, that people who were selfish now who are generous, that this isn't some psychological transformation, some emotional upheaval, but it is actually the Spirit of God working in them. And just like this man who could not see from birth and now sees, there's evidence. The second thing that's looked at this passage is something we need to work on, 
is ignorance versus revelation. We think that we're so smart because we've learned all these things. Now, there may be somebody even in the size of this congregation that can explain to us in good terms the basic function of how calculations are made with the computers that we all have, some of them sitting in our pockets right now, a few even using right now. And they can explain how those electrons move along those circuits and how those calculations are made. But for most of us, there's not a chance, right? I mean, not even, we can't even give you the big picture of that stuff. But because we have it and that we can use it through the graphical user interface, we think that we're pretty smart. We know nothing of how it actually works. In fact, this, this happened Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm still freaked out about it. I'm really upset about it. I have no idea what to do about it. And somebody's going to tell me afterwards, but I'm going to just share this with you. Went down to my daughter and her husband's house. They bought a house, first time homeowners, so excited. They invited us for Thanksgiving, so excited to be there. So we went down, and, and um, they work for um, the Department of Defense contractor. He's a uber geek, does programming. It's all classified. I don't know exactly what he does. I know kind of generally what he does, but he told me he'd have to poison me if he told me exactly what he does. And on Thanksgiving, you don't want to even run that risk. So he got this new game. And um, it's this game, it's a virtual reality game. So you put on these goggles and like the world like, and all of a sudden you've you've got these things in your hand and you're waving them around and and it's like real right in front of your face. And so it was like a saber thing and there's music going and so I'm dancing, I'm doing this. I really had a good time. Was no good at it, but I really had a great time. And so um, I'm done with it. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then my phone had been going off all day long with people wishing me happy Thanksgiving. So I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the text. And, and so I pick up my phone, and right on my phone is an ad. Wait for it. You bet it. Virtual reality headsets. I've never searched for them, never been interested in them. I've enjoyed my experience with it. So some algorithm was paying attention. Even the phone was upside down, which is really freaking me out, folks. Okay, so I pick it up, I look at it, and there it is. First thing. You had a good time? Buy this now. Okay? So I'm ignorant to how that happened. But I know it's happened. I can't explain all the processes that happened in that. I know somebody was watching. But until I had the revelation of that offer come up, I didn't know what was happening. Folks, we live in a world of revelation. We pretend like we live in a world of information. And so the Pharisees were actually ignorant. They were the more educated. They were the ones that had everything at their disposal, but they're the ones that were behind. The one that was ahead was the one who had been experiencing the revelation of God intersecting his normal into that man's normal and restored him. I hope, I pray you're following me. 
Because when you get out of the lie that we've been fed culturally, that we are so smart and we've got all this information, and really begin to understand the revelation that we know less and less and less, even though we have access to more and more and more, then it makes the very truth of God revealing himself as a human being and telling us to our face, I love you so much that I will sacrifice the authority of the universe to pay for your sin debt, to keep you from expending eternity apart from me, to be able to enjoy not only eternity with me, but as beloved and cherished children, to have this thing happen in your life that is just going to totally revolutionize you and it's going to make you actually worthwhile in this culture at this time and somebody that should be incredibly valued and run to because you are expressing my love over and over again, day after day after day, week after week after week, year after year after year, until you hear me call you home. That's who I am, and that's revelation, and that's who God has come to say hello to you. And we forgot it. And we we look at our Bible and we say, I don't understand it. And folks, you can't understand it without God, by his power of the Holy Spirit, revealing it to you and say, this is life, this is truth, this is blessing for you. Go and share it likewise. So, we've been asking the question, why? So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Why see to become blind? Who saw all their lives? The Pharisees. They were educated. They were in authority. They knew what they were doing. They had it all measured out, literally. I can take this many steps on the Sabbath. I can do this particular thing, but I can't do that particular thing. They had it down to a science. And they were confident in it. They knew it. They knew that Moses had talked to God. Not one of them had been there, but they were sure of it. They had it all down. But could they see that God had become flesh? Even though their own prophet said it was going to happen. Could they see that this God who had become flesh had come and intersected this man's life and done the impossible? They were witnessing it. They saw it. They they knew this fellow. They knew where to find his parents. And yet, they were blinded to it. So, in our conversations around this Christmas season, just encourage you to keep this question in in your minds. Why see to become blind? Why see my bank account get bigger to be blind to its temporary nature? Why see my influence become more expansive to be blind to the damage of all that responsibility? Why, 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 why? And at the end, my challenge to you is this. Why believe? I believe. I, for me, want to offer this evidence because it's made all the difference. It's radically transformed and is radically transforming this child who grew up to be a young man who now is a grandpa and should God allow it will get to be an old man And he won't be done with me until he's finished. And I live for that day. 
I can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your rest. And so when people ask me why, they're going to get that answer straight up. Because I was blind and now I see. Father, I pray that over the next few moments as we respond to you, God, that you would change hearts, that you would revolutionize lives, that you would remind those that you've already redeemed the precious nature of the gift that we've been given in you, and that you will call those who've yet to surrender their lives to you to incredible life-giving transformation even this morning. Father, I thank you that last week there was somebody that needed to make that decision right here in this place. And God, I continue to pray for that individual that you would continue to pursue him with your mercy until you capture him with your love. And that the whole family connected would also become followers of your one and only son, Jesus and part of his forever family. God, as we respond, I just ask that you would do as I've asked you over and over again, something that I can't fathom, I can't imagine, just because you're that creative. Let us celebrate once again just how incredible you are. In Jesus' name, amen.